what's up, everybody? This is Brandon Barnes. I want to welcome you back to the Resimply podcast, where we talk all things real estate. Super excited to have guest today, Sean. He is from Utah and doing some really cool things in the vacation rental space. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, Brandon. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate having you on. Uh, that Longhorn in the back, man. As soon as you turn that camera on, first thing I spotted. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun. We got the got the big old Longhorn hanging up. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you located at in Utah? What are y'all doing? And what's your kind of space in real estate right now? Yeah, right now we're uh, we're in the vacation rental space. You know, kind of a hot topic. Um, I started getting back into this game and into the real estate space back 22 years ago. I've been a full-time real estate investor for 22 years now and kind of gone up and down a lot of different asset classes, different things that have got us through to where we are today. Today, what we do is really focus on building portfolios of vacation rental homes. Um, I started doing that back in 2006. So a little bit before it was popular to do it, um, as popular as it is now for sure. Um, and so we've seen some explosive growth. It's kind of the, the shiny object in, in real estate asset classes for the last couple of years for a number of different reasons, but it's uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. But yeah, the, a long journey to get us here started um, really focusing on this space about 10 years ago. And it's been, been a really fun asset class as we've niched down from where we started originally 22 years ago. You're right, it has been a very, like the upcycle of the market the last couple of years people like oh i'm just gonna airbnb it. everything was just i'm gonna airbnb it and everybody instantly became short-term rental owners yeah yeah having a short-term rental the last couple of years was like having toilet paper during COVID. everybody was making money um as you know and 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 i know being around real estate as long as we have it's not that that's not a normal market cycle it's not going to last forever and so you better you, you still have to understand it as an asset class that wave is kind of that wave came in a lot of people rode it and it's starting to settle down a little bit now as we as we kind of walk into more of a mature um and, and mainstream asset that we're seeing yeah it was it was people buying bad deals and then realizing hey i can throw some furniture in this thing all facebook marketplace yeah. call it a short-term rental and save my butt on it right right yep exactly not knowing your numbers and, and luckily for some of them that market or that wave was riding high enough that uh, they they did get bailed out a little bit the wave's going out a little bit now though yeah it has and i've we've noticed i was telling you before we, we're doing our first two currently and we've noticed uh with my wife doing it people just don't treat them like they should as like a vacation rental they we went to one recently um in myrtle beach south carolina they didn't have toilet paper they didn't have paper towels. They didn't have soap. They didn't have, and they're like, yeah, just go buy all that stuff at the store. Yeah. We spent, there's a group of us, it was like $2,000 a night. It wasn't a, it wasn't just like a bedroom. Right. House. Right. And yeah. I was like, you guys expect us to do our dishes and all this stuff. And there's legitimately nothing to do any of it with. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've uh, stayed in them recently. We're and seen some of them that have like, you're required to clean them when you're done with them and you're getting charged a cleaning fee. I mean, it's now those, those things are going to be a thing of the past. You're not going to be able to get away with that uh, moving forward. I really, I mean, one Airbnb, Verbo, they're cracking down on that kind of stuff, but also the marketplace is going to, the market is going to say, Hey, listen, that is not how this works. You really have to treat it as a professional moving forward. It's not going to be the way it was the last couple of years where everybody and their dog had the, had a vacation rental was making money. My wife and I'll talk. It's like, if we're going to pay this money, I'd rather go stay in a hotel. Somebody cleans my room every day. Right. They right. Do all the linens, they, and I can just leave. Yeah. Instead, I have this massive checklist. It takes me an hour to yeah. leave the next morning, you know, and then pay a couple hundred dollar cleaning fee. So yeah. 
So what got you in, you, you've done the traditional route, wholesaling, flipping, those kind of things. How did you transition from that into the vacation space? It was a, it was a bit of a transition. So I'll kind of take you back, you know, when it really started back, you know, a long time ago now for me, this is my 23rd year in real estate. When I really started, like a lot of people that are getting started, we look, you know, I didn't have money. I didn't have a whole lot of credit. So I was looking at wholesale deals. And so I, I did a couple wholesale deals, put some money in my pocket and didn't stick with the wholesale game very long because I immediately transitioned into fix and flip properties. And so I took the money that I had. This was back in the early 2000s, in 2000, um, right at the start, you know, kind of going through that dot-com crash, you know, back then rates were high and you can still pick up properties for decent deals. Um, not a lot of people were buying, things were sitting on the market. And so I was able to buy properties, value add, and, and I did that for about a six year run. About a couple of years into my fix and flip game, I was um, in my early 20s and I was really getting pretty cocky, frankly, um, thinking I was pretty uh, a pretty big deal in the real estate investor world, if you will. And I would show up at real estate investment club meetings and kind of sticking my chest out and talking to the other investors and wanted to mostly just talk about how, how awesome I was, right? And uh, this old boy named George put his arm around me one day and he said, hey, Sean, I hate to tell you, my friend, but you are not the investor that you think you are. He said, you've got this job fixing up and selling houses. If you stop doing that, your income stops. He said, you're really not an investor until you start building something that brings in passive income. And back then at the time, it really hurt my feelings. My my uh, my ego was shot. I was really pissed off. I went home, talked to my wife, but that, in, in private, I was like, "Hey, maybe George is right. You know, maybe he's maybe I do need to start thinking about building some sort of portfolio of passive investments." And at the time, the most natural um, investment that I would make because of what I was doing and fixing and flipping single family homes was buying and building a single family long term rental portfolio. And so over the next couple of years, I built, I purchased about, I think I built my up uh, to 52 homes. We bought 52 single family rentals and started to build up our passive income. Keep in mind back then you didn't, you know, this was back in 2003, 2004, 2002. You're, if you could fog a mirror, you could get a loan. And you, we all remember what, what caused that problem back in 2008. And so I was able to build a portfolio though, very quickly. And, you know, with my wife and I, um, my wife, I didn't actually at the time, my, my wife had a real estate license and we were buying a lot of these properties, investment properties with 5% down. So we were getting 3% from commissions and, and only having to come up with like 2% on every property. So we were actually able to build that pretty quickly. I was managing these properties and I started thinking, man, I'm not, I'm just not making that much money. I was making passive income. I was making about $100 a door, bringing in about $5,000 a month in passive income, which was okay. But my fix and flip business was making me several hundred thousand dollars a year right we were making so i could do one flip and make five or six times what my monthly income was on these on the portfolio and so and it was taking me more time and so at the time back in 2005 i decided to sell everything and said hey i'm, I'm getting i'm gonna get out of this i'm gonna start going into a bigger game and start saying okay i'm gonna now do development again more putting more money in, bigger paychecks at the end but still nothing passive but i started getting into more of the development game that led us to uh, partnering and being, you know, not really partnering on the, the actual deal, but I went to a developer or a hard money lender to try to get some money for a development deal. This hard money lender was developing a private ski and golf resort in Utah and really high end, like 25, $30 million properties. They were all second home vacation home properties for these, you know, the, the, the well to do to say the least. 
And we did that for about, we worked it. He said, I, I, I'm not gonna fund your deal, but I want you to come over and work on the sales and marketing side on this resort for us. So my wife and I did that. We started doing that in 2006. Well, in the end of 2008, the all of a sudden we, one day the, the feds come into the office and the computers get shut down, the file cabinets get locked up and the entire thing gets shut down. And we're looking around wondering what the heck happened. Well, the owners of that resort got indicted on securities charges. And so overnight, all of that shut down. And we had since stopped our investment business. We had sold all, all of our properties. And so we were looking at each other thinking we were making really good money doing this resort stuff and thinking, what happened? You know, this isn't our fault. I actually threw myself about a six month pity party and was blaming everybody else, was, was playing the victim until I lost everything. And I lost my house, I lost my vehicles. By 2009, we had nothing. And back in 2006, we had bought a, a, a vacation home for ourselves in the mountains in Utah at a place called Bear Lake, this little lake mountain town in Utah. And, and during the time I was losing everything, I actually started putting this property on KSL and Craigslist, which KSL is a local classified ad um, in Craigslist. It was, you know, at the time Airbnb and Verbo were, were around, but they were more like urban area, like, you know, couch surfing and urban type properties. And I started renting this property out. Well, this property made me okay money while I was losing everything else. And didn't think anything much of it at the time, but fast forward a few years, I started getting back into, I, I finally got done playing, you know, the victim and throwing my pity party. I got back into real estate, started hustling again, started doing some development deals and we ended up having twins and, and uh, we, we struggled with kids for a little while, but we ended up having kids. And then we were every year for their birthday, we go to Hawaii for the week of their birthday. and. I was, we were in Hawaii, it was their fourth, my, my kid's fourth birthday, and they were just turning four, and I was on the phone on a development deal, I was frustrated, I was talking, I don't even know what I was frustrated about, but as soon as I got off the phone, my son grabbed my hand and he said, Dad, if you don't like doing the real estate in Utah, you should just come to Hawaii and do real estate here. Because when we're, every time we go somewhere, we look at properties and we look at stuff and we're looking at these really fun properties, right? And in his mind, he's just like, if it's bad there, it's gonna be good here because this is yeah. awesome, right? And so so he didn't think a lot of it, but at the time I started really thinking about it. I started thinking, what do I really like? And what do I what is what do I enjoy when it comes to real estate? I love the investment side of things. I love running the numbers, I love finding properties that work. And I also loved the resort side of when we were doing the resort vacation home, second home style. It was all about experience and having fun. And I remember having this property that was making money during one of the worst downturns we've seen in real estate. And I thought, hey, this might, there might be something to this vacation rental game. And so we actually decided that we were going to start to look into that and take it serious and build a portfolio of vacation homes for ourselves. And that's, that was back in 2015. And since then we've just been, we've just been doing it ever since and uh, full time and, and building that portfolio. So it's kind of a, a long run of what really led us here and what, what led us to saying, okay, how are, and why are we going to niche down so far to be able to ultimately build this passive income portfolio. And then we've seen this run, you know, we, we were building it in 2015, really serious, pretty much full time since then. And then since COVID, we've seen this maturity just accelerate. And so all these different things have led to 
a pretty mature and mainstream asset class at this stage. And we've seen the growth phases throughout it, but it's, uh, I love real estate in general. For me, vacation rentals end up having, you know, they're just fun. You know, I, I enjoy them. I have a lot of interest in them, um, you know, and, and they're they're different. They're harder to underwrite than a lot of deals. A lot of people don't realize that in the last couple of years, but they actually are. <laughs> and so um, lots of moving parts. And so I love I love being able to take a, take an asset that we enjoy. And at this stage in our career and the game, you know, we're, we take some we still do some of the some of those deals like the the fix and flip or the development deals where we get big lump sums of cash and then we put them into to something that can create passive income for us. That's a really cool story and venture. And it's amazing how something can just wipe out everything that you think you're doing and you have no control over. It. Yeah. But to touch, to, to rewind it a little bit, you talked about building this portfolio of 52 homes, 50 homes, whatever it was, yeah. 100 bucks a door, five grand a month. You know, people think when they get into real estate, hey, I'm just going to buy a bunch of rentals and make a bunch of money every month. It's not a it's really hard to get to 50 doors. Yeah. And Nowadays, then, especially with lending. Yeah. And B, it's not that profitable in right. the long term rental space. Right. You know, I like to look at my short my long term rentals as just little savings accounts. Yep. I want to use the money. My goal is just pay them off. Don't leverage them. Just so that when I'm 50, 55 years old, I have a handful of homes paid off that, you know, kind of help with the lifestyle. Cause you're right, flipping, you get a check, it's done. Yeah, it's but they're bigger home. checks, right? Yeah, yeah, they're bigger checks, but they, you know, you can go through spells. Uh, my wife and I, we sold five flips last month. And then now all of a sudden you look like, wait, we don't have any flips closing for the next two or three. Like everything kind of ran on itself. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, it's being, prepared for those those moments it's funny how kids are kids can see stuff that we can't you know you're right so, right Hawaii's fun we're on vacation just just do it here it's this simple yeah and a lot of times it can be yeah so sometimes it really is right and it's uh yeah it's they they make us think of things that we never would have thought about right and um you know just with some of the questions they ask but like even to your point like a lot of people even with the flips like you said you know you have you close five in a month and we talk about the five in a month. Well, a lot of times somebody that's new to investing will say, okay, well, I'm I'm gonna do five a month. I run the numbers. Oh, I'm gonna make all kinds of money doing this, right? Absolutely, you can. I believe real estate's the one number one vehicle for the average person to create long-term financial freedom and wealth over time, right? It's it's but we don't talk about like the two, three or four months that, okay, we've got to, we've got to make that work till we build that pipeline up again and have another month that closes, right? And so it's um, my space is very similar to that with vacation rentals. People look at the summertime numbers or the peak season numbers, and then they don't budget correctly for the, those slow times, you know, because most vacation rentals are, are super seasonal. The long-term rentals, they take a lot of patience and time and, and like, okay, I, I need to have a long-term plan because the future looks really bright long-term with these long-term investments. But sometimes that short term, it's not, you're not making a whole bunch of money in the beginning. And that's when you're putting in the majority of the work. You actually don't get the reward until after. Talk to somebody that's been building long-term passive investments. And you will talk to a lot of people who sell them before they hit that 12 to 15 year mark. And you almost talk to nobody that sells them after that because now they've matured and now all of a sudden they're mostly paid off or, or are pretty close to being paid yeah. off. Rents have gone up enough over that time that you're now you're actually making some decent money every month. Yeah. 
Once you get that first one, a good friend of mine in Alabama built this. You stay between 250 and 300 long-term single-family rentals. Wow. And once he got the first one to three kind of paid off is when the snowball of them happened. Then now you're taking three rents to pay a mortgage and he would just go get commercial line, commercial mortgage on them, pay it. And that's what was able to grow. But it took him years to get the first one, then the second one, then the third one paid off. Yeah. So the journey, the time frame that you built these single family rentals short term, and I even single family, these vacation rentals, there wasn't financing in place for these either. I think some there are some lenders now yeah. that do vacation rentals, but in fifteen there was not a vacation rental product that I knew of. Right. No, no, there wasn't. And so we were we were buying um, using traditional like long-term investment type loans, right? So we would they would have to we'd have to put a decent amount down. Um, even back then with vacation or second home vacation loans that, that a lot of people use to get into the game now, back then, Fannie and Freddie hadn't addressed whether, you know, whether, you know, short-term rentals were even allowed with them. And it was very like, you were really in the gray area of whether you were gonna be able to rent these properties out or not. Now, Fannie and Freddie have addressed it and you are allowed to do it under, you know, you have to follow certain guidelines and circumstances to be able to pull that off. But yeah, there wasn't a lot of financing options. So you were typically getting traditional long-term type investment loans, um, which have been around forever, putting a decent amount down, making sure that, you know, that you could qualify with your debt to income. Now there's, you know, debt service coverage ratio loans, DSCR loans, all those different things that are, that exist that we don't have to use our own credit. You know, the property itself qualifies for it. But back then we had to qualify for every property when we bought one. What was a big piece for overcoming the hurdle of the amount of cash to build a vacation portfolio? Because you have to buy it, you have to renovate it potentially. Then you have to furnish it, which I've seen a lot of times furnishing doesn't fit into the renovation budget a lot of times. So you have the cash outlay for furnishing and then you have to go put a 10, 15, 20% down plus everything else just to buy the property. Yeah. So you're talking a lot of cash that you're exposing yourself to constantly. How are you able to start that challenge and grow from there? Yeah, well, I, and I think that you have to look at it anytime you're building a portfolio of something long-term, you've got to have a different source of income. Like I don't look at my, and I never looked at our vacation rentals as this is the business I'm getting into and going to be my sole source of income. So what I'm trying to do is say, what other active income do I have? Is it flipping? Is it is it wholesaling? Is it development deals? For me, it was in real estate, right? We were able to do development deals um, at that time. That's more what we were doing than flipping. But we would take development deal money and we would that so that active income and we would put it into building these portfolios and we wouldn't touch the money. We weren't we're not using the money for that. I always tell people when you're building a portfolio of long-term assets that first purchase is is one of the most difficult the second there that gap between number one and number two that gap is probably going to be the widest gap that you're going to that you're going to see because now you've got to resave up the money you got to be disciplined not to take money from property one let it let it do its thing keep keep building your active income over here so you can put it into property number two. And then once you that gap between two and three starts to get a little bit shorter and a little bit shorter every single acquisition, because now you've got assets that are starting to build up like your friend did, right? Those first, those first few, and then you start to leverage them. So for us, that's what it was. It's saying, okay, I have a long-term plan. What am I gonna do with this active income? 
and how much am I going to allocate to build a portfolio for us, a vacation rental portfolio. But I think everybody that has active income should be thinking about what are you going to invest in for the long term as well, right? A lot of people, you know, just out of habit or just out of, you know, kind of the societal norms is I'm going to put it in a 401k or I'm going to put it in a retirement account or, you know, the stock market, whatever it is. Those are all fine. Whatever your actual plan is for us, we we see more leverage in putting it into real estate and something tangible, but that's the game that we play. But it's taking active income, putting it into something that will ultimately turn into passive income for you down the line. Exactly. Even if it's $5,000. Right thousand dollars whatever it is it's that discipline not to spend it you know and and you hear of you hear somebody like yourself or somebody else builds this portfolio they don't realize the first one was tough to buy because they had to grow the active income to a certain point and then i've heard that same thing multiple times that first one to that second one is your longest gap yep you know because you spent so much money and effort and time getting that first one you know you probably depleted the money that you're investing into that stuff and so now it's you have to build it all back over again yeah and people need to realize it's not a get it's not something that's done quickly but once it is started it can grow faster as you have more assets absolutely we we always over anticipate what can happen in 30 days or a year and then we under anticipate what can happen in three five ten years right and so if you actually just start that process that's one thing i love about vacation rentals for me personally is I still got a tangible benefit of personal use out of it, right? We go vacation in them a couple times a year. So even though in the very beginning, we're not cash flowing or making a ton of money, or we're not planning on pulling any money out as far as a financial asset, we're actually, we have a lifestyle upgrade because now we own vacation homes in these different areas that we can go use. So it keeps us interested in it, right? It keeps, at least for me personally, it keeps me interested saying, okay, it still feels like a pretty good upgrade because I've got a I've got a vacation home somebody else is paying for. Ultimately, we're going to make some good money on, but we're we're allowing it to mature over time. But while it's maturing, I can use it personally and not really draw from that maturity of it. Gotcha. That's the other benefit is somebody else is paying it down, and you can go to these cool cities that you like. If you like hiking, you can go to hiking destinations. If yeah. You like to- you can buy in the beach destination. So how do you find your houses now? So we have, we build teams of other investors, like, you know, whether they're wholesalers, um, a lot of realtors in the area that specialize in us. I love working with other investors that are either flipping or wholesaling deals for us um, because they understand what we're looking for as an investor, right? Um, you know, one of the things that I was able to, when I lost everything, I was able to get right back into the game, start making money because I understood investors. So I could find deals that I knew they would like because I would buy them if I had the money, right? And so and so I, I love working with, and so we what we try to do is we build teams across the country. We're, we're, we're nationwide and actually in other countries now where we're constantly buying. So we build teams and, and relationships with other agents that specialize but really um, like a lot of our stuff comes off of the mls because we have to understand how to underwrite it i love when we find you know wholesalers or people that understand us as investors and what we're looking for because a lot of times they're not just they're not just sending us everything that hits the mls they're actually finding off-market deals and they're 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 doing you know kind of their hustle on the back end in the markets that they're in finding these deals and and us we're, we're basically retail buyers at this stage in the game we're not we're not actually out 
trying to find our own deals. We try to find those those investors that are doing that for us. And, and we're happy to paint. That's awesome. And so how do you identify markets or cities that you go into and look to buy these homes? There are so many good markets across the country. It's hard to it's hard to judge based on the investability. We have tons of reports. We love data. We're looking at data all the time. And so we are scraping data and trying to find kind of the investability matrix that we're looking for. Typically on the front end, that has to do with the average revenue in the area and the average acquisition cost. And we're looking for a certain ratio there um, that we'll look at. But really, I always tell people like when I build my personal portfolio, so I have a, we have a kind of a Vodacy portfolio and then I have my personal portfolio. My personal portfolio, my criteria is where do I want to own my next vacation home? And so, and then we will go try to figure out and, and run the numbers, see how investable it is. Some markets are better than others, but I always start with, because I just told you that personal use for me is a, is a big deal. And so we look for areas that where we want to own homes in and, um, and typically, because there's good properties and bad properties in almost every market. Like you've been in the real estate game, right? Every property in every market doesn't mean, like you can find one of the best markets as far as investability and every home you find is not going to be a, a perfect candidate for a flip, right? And <clears throat> some are gonna be overpriced, some are gonna be at a good deal. You can buy them at, at a discount. Um, that's the same with vacation rental markets. So anywhere that has decent profit drivers, the, the ones that always people think about, you know, the beaches, the mountains, the ski hills, the national parks, those things that we go visit for. But there are a lot of really strong profit drivers like major medical centers, colleges, and different things, you know, major um, corporate headquarters, you know, Bentonville, Arkansas, where, where Walmart's located, right? That's now they're, they're building that up as kind of a mountain bike area as well. But really what was driving Bentonville was the, the head, corporate headquarters for Walmart. And it's a, it's a very, you know, very nice short-term rental market. So any, any of those major profit drivers can make for a really good short-term rental um, marketplace. I think that's cool that you're looking at it just outside of strictly your vacation because everybody can see mountains, beaches, those kind of things, but it's seeing the corporate headquarters. I had never heard of Bentonville, Arkansas, and I have a friend that I have two friends that live there now. And they, that's when I obviously about Walmart, but then found out it's like the number one place to go mountain biking. Yeah. And, and, and Walmart and the, you know, they have built that area to be that, right? I mean, those mountain bike trails have all kinds of money behind them and they're, they're awesome. They're beautiful. They're great. I mean, and so there's a lot of really great things that are fueled by that being the being because it's the Walmart headquarters. How much research do you have to do or how difficult is it sometimes to find out vacation rental regulations and things like that? Like, is there, yeah. is there a place to find it? Cause I know uh, one for our specific city, Folly Beach, yeah, uh, just passed a short-term rental app and it is going nuts down here right now because these people own these multi-million dollar homes making tons of money and now they can't sell them because they can't pass on the short-term rental piece. Right. It's great they're making money, but it, it changes the, the ability of the home now and the value. Yeah, absolutely. And so one, it, we do it old school one we you really there's not there's a lot of tools out there that say that you can double check regulations we're we're pretty old school we call the county the city the hoas we look at the regulations we only invest in areas that have given the blessing towards short-term rentals allowing them to be um to where we're you know we can get permitted we can get licensed and we can we can make sure that we operate it's those gray areas that people were operating and then these areas are coming in and saying okay we're changing this now to say we either like it or we don't like it, or here's where we like it. 
if you're if you're finding an area that they end up doing a cap or they end up doing a moratorium or something like that you're going to be grandfathered in doesn't always mean it's going to pass on to somebody else so you're just going to be grandfathered in while you own the property um but there's many times where people invest in areas that it's not addressed one way or the other and so they're not they're allowed to operate until it's addressed but then you got a 50 50 shot of them telling you yes or no and a lot of times people feel like that that was changed on them. Well, they never they never had the blessing to do it anyways. And so they yeah. just decided to address it. That's becoming less and less of a, an issue recently because this is becoming more of a mainstream asset that most municipalities, HOAs are addressing them. And yeah. so of whether they want them or not, I don't believe that they should be operated everywhere. You know, I've been in real estate for a long time. When I was developing or still continue to develop at times, I can't go put high density housing in an area that's not zoned for high density, right? I can't go put up an apartment complex. I can't go put a 7-Eleven on every corner that I want that I can find a vacant lot. It has to be zoned correctly. And, they, and, and these municipalities are going to identify where they want them, where they don't, and what rules they want short-term rental operators to follow. And, and so for us, that's a big deal. The last couple of years, especially, you have to look into that on the acquisition side. And we do it old school. We make sure that we're we contact county, city and HOAs. All of those layers have different rules and regulations that we have to look at. I like the tip. It's like invest in the places that they've made the decision. Yeah, because you're right. If they haven't made a decision, then they technically didn't change anything on you. They just never made a decision. Yeah, they've never addressed it. Exactly. And that, the you know, three or four years ago, that was that you you pretty much had to kind of take that risk a little bit because not a lot of areas were making, you know, the, the municipalities weren't making the decisions or how they wanted to operate. Today, especially the last year and a half, two years, has been really sweeping regulations across the board where, where they're really coming out and saying what they want and how they want to operate. And so we only go to areas and we'll buy. I mean, we, we're preaching the ownership model, right? I'm not controlling properties. I know sometimes that's popular and can be, you know, ways to make money doing that. We're investing in buying these properties for the long term. I need to make sure that I'm going to actually be able to operate the way I want to operate. Yeah, that, that, that's, uh, that's super key because it are going to folly beach my wife her aunt lives there we've talked to her i was like hey when you're because she's in the kind of part of her life where she's thinking of selling now she's tired of the yeah vacation traffic and then all of a sudden they passed this ordinance i don't know maybe two months ago and it crushed the value of her home because people right. don't want to go live there long term they right. want to hang out there and then rent it when they're not there right uh, so that was that was it's been interesting to kind of see how it's unfolding now with people protesting and, and different things being done. Yeah, when it starts to affect and, and I think sometimes too the pendulum will swing one way and then usually it's going to fall somewhere in the middle. So a lot of times you will see some of these uh, we've seen it in, in different areas that were really popular in the beginning stages of really passing some strict regulations. They realized that it did affect property values. It did affect some of the, the um, revenue that they're able to generate. A lot of these areas, their major source of revenue are hospitality taxes. And so they start to say, okay, we're, we, we just gave ourselves a huge pay cut. Um, so maybe we're gonna be a little bit more lenient. And we've actually started seeing that pendulum start to swing back to the middle in a lot of areas. So you just have to watch it on a regular basis. Now, does some of those regulations have to do with poor ownership and management, you think with short-term rentals or is it or you think it's more just kind of municipality specific? Because 
I would imagine a bad management on a vacation rental could really put a bad taste in that neighborhood or city or whatever. Absolutely. And and that's, yeah, for sure. I, I think that a lot of these, one, we always hear about the horror stories, right? People talk about, we always talk about the outliers, good or bad. We never talk about kind of the middle. And so when you go to some of these meetings, you got these people that are really upset because they heard about one party or somebody got out of control. That's not normally what happens, but the more bad operators you have, the more bad management that you have in the space that's not treated as professionals, the more likely you're going to, we're going to see more regulations come in place. Like I'm a big proponent of you saying, hey, listen, this is the time of professional management and managers and owners that we have to be good neighbors, right? There's, we don't, there's no reason that like, I don't want a party house right next to where I live either. Yeah. Right. And so, so being a good neighbor and being able to show that, okay, as an industry, as a whole, that's always not the case either. There's going to be bad apples as popular as short-term rentals got in the last two or three years where everybody was, was buying properties and everybody was making money. Even, you know, the very beginning of our conversation was saying, you know, I had to go in and I, there's no cleaning supplies. I have a checklist of all these things I can do. Like there's, there's operators in the, in this game right now that probably shouldn't be in the game. And so the regulations and some of the, the rules that are being placed are because of that. And in, you know, in probably is it not, a, it's not a bad thing to raise awareness that, hey, if we're going to operate this as an actual asset, then we've got to be a good neighbor. We've got to be able to follow the rules. And I don't think it's wrong with, there's nothing, nothing wrong with the municipalities passing those rules, but they're also, they're hearing the outlier stories. So it's our job to also have, have some good stories on the, on what it's done for the communities, what it's done for tax revenue, all of that stuff. Cause a lot of these areas, that is where their tax revenue comes from. Absolutely. Tourists come in, they spend money. Yeah. It, everything's great taxed. for businesses, everything else. Yep. So would you, for somebody getting their first vacation rental, would you suggest them managing it on their own, bringing in a management company? Like how, what would some advice you'd give for somebody that wanted to get their first vacation rental? So this is, this is going to be a different opinion than almost anybody's going to tell you on the front end. And, um, I don't believe that most people are cut out to manage their own properties. And so it is a large expense to hire full service management on these properties, but that comes back to the numbers and underwriting. I don't manage any of my own properties. I know how to manage properties, but I don't do it because it takes a lot of time. And a lot, I mean, it, it can really turn into a full-time job and that's that can be detrimental to one, your, your portfolio growth, because you've got to have some time for your active income to continue to build your portfolio. But also it's a drag when you look at the amount of time that they take versus the money you're making, especially that first 12 to 18 months. And so I don't think that most people should manage properties just to save the money because you're going to end up doing a lot of 10 and $15 an hour work that you're, that you probably make more money doing something else and hiring somebody to do, but also that person, that professional management company is going to do a much better job. And so your job as an owner, or as an investor and owner is, I believe, go find the right assets, underwrite these assets, find right properties in the right areas, set up a unique experience and hire the professionals to help you deliver that experience to your guest. Because being a short-term or vacation rental management person, people are also probably asking recommendations. Like it's a lot more in depth than just, hey, here's a lease, here's a key, pay me rent once a month. I mean, they're, they're oh. interacting with the guests for an experience. Absolutely. You're, you're part of that experience. You're dealing with one, you're dealing with check-ins and checkouts on a regular basis. You're dealing with the turnover of the property, making sure it's set up correctly. Every time somebody comes in, you're in the hospitality game right now. Right. And so you're exactly right. Way different than, than a landlord tenant relationship versus 
a host and a guest relationship. And so, yeah, and, and when you're a host, yeah, where, where am I going to go eat? You know, how far am I from the major profit drivers? What are some of the tips that I can do to avoid the lines at some of these areas and get into some of the best restaurants when I'm not from here? All those, all those different things that you're going to be interacting with on a regular basis is part of the game. Now, where can people learn how to underwrite short-term rentals? Because I know in my journey so far, the two that we've purchased, it is very difficult to know, you know, I, I think AirDNA is, is, an, is a yeah. website we've used, but where where can somebody learn to think like, what are the costs into it? What can I underwrite it? What can it rent for kind of? Right, so so one, AirDNA is a good data tool. A lot of people are familiar with. Um, we use AirDNA on a regular basis. We use about three or four other data tools that we invest in because we, we find that data it needs to we extract certain data from different areas and different properties we're really looking at the major things are the occupancy in the area the average nightly rate range there's always a range for your average nightly rate for your property type and area and then understanding the seasonality and then ultimately what what the costs on the back end are going to be now the part that makes it hard and difficult to underwrite is most people don't understand what that average nightly rate range is in the market for let's say a five bedroom property at folly beach we we're just talking about well that range is going to be different depending on where you're located in that area as well whether you're on the beach whether you're a couple rows back whether you're further back maybe you're on a golf course in in, in the area understanding how to identify the difference in those different changes, uh, depending on where you're at, is where it becomes difficult. AirDNA is a good tool. You, I really think you have to have the back-end version, the paid version of AirDNA. They've got a couple different tools that you can pay for. If somebody was going to start, that's the most affordable data tool okay. to be able to look at. If you go on to, the, and, and underwriting the deal is, is probably one of the most complicated because it's different it's not complicated and it's hard to do it's just different than what most people are used to underwriting and so like if you go to vodacy.com we have some we have some trainings on how to do that and what we do to underwrite them because you're really having to look at the overall market revenue range how much money is being spent in the market what the average nightly rate range is for every individual property type and location in that market and then you start to look at occupancy and then you start multiplying and timesing everything together to start running your numbers. And so it can feel overwhelming once you understand how to do it, though. It's not it's not, you know, complicated or hard in that, that it's super difficult. It's just that most people don't understand how to run those numbers. Gotcha. Yeah, I I remember looking at ours and people ask us, like, well, what's it going to rent for? And I had I honestly had no clue. Our first vacation rental was not purchased in the sense we bought it the numbers work for anything but because of its location we decided to use it for golf and the tournament and stuff like that sure. but when we started trying underwriting understand like what's it going to rent for i mean there was ranges from 65 dollars a day to 200 dollars a day then you'd have spikes and obviously the tournament for two right. weeks um, then a couple other events that happened in the city and it was all over the place to kind of understand like what's this thing actually going to rent for so we ended up just saying, all right, this is the long-term rental. This is the ARV of it. Let's just underwrite it like we would normally. Right. And then it'll cash flow more than what our debt service is. So we're okay. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's, and sometimes like in these areas, there are some areas that both work, right? Long-term rental can work and you can cash flow, short-term rental can work and you can cash flow and, and, and other areas, vice versa, right? There's some areas that long-term rents don't cash flow. That's one thing about short-term rentals that is nice is some of these more expensive vacation home areas. You don't one have the, you typically don't have the demand for long-term rentals in some of these areas, but also even the small demand that is there, it doesn't cover the bills. And so you, you're forced to say, okay, can I make it work as a short-term rental? Or am I just trying to supplement a vacation home for myself? And so, yeah, understanding the numbers. And it's, it's one of those things that everybody wants the easy button. So there's a lot of software tools that are out there saying, okay, even, even AirDNA that we're talking about, they have a rentalizer tool that you can plug the address in, bedrooms, baths, and it'll tell you what they think the numbers are gonna be. That's a very misleading thing at times because it doesn't look at the range. All it does is look at the other three or four bedrooms within a certain vicinity, just like we would run real estate comps. That doesn't work because you could have a property that's a couple blocks away that happens to be on the beach and yours isn't, and your revenue is going to be skewed big time by that beach property, right? And your when yours is not. And so you really have, there's some logic-based underwriting that you have to be able to deduct some of these when, you're, when we're looking at those numbers. Yeah, and something we learned, um, which I thought was, you, you speak to like being very specific in your house and where it's located. Uh, one thing we did learn with ours is that this specific city, and I'm sure it's, it's common in other cities, two bedroom, two bathrooms were much more ideal than three bedrooms. It worked to the travelers, business travelers, where two people could travel together, have their own bedroom, have their own bathroom, and it was cheaper than their hotel stipends, and they would come rent it for 30, 60, 90 days at a time. Yeah, it's huge, and and that's a great, a great point. With vacation rentals, we're always looking for a one-to-one -one bedroom bathroom count. We don't typically look at that so much on other properties, right? That we're going to be long-term renting, but we're really focused on the bedroom bathroom ratio. And so we, and we want to see a one-to-one -one ratio as much as possible, because you're exactly right. No, like if you're going with a couple of people, you don't, that you're, you're not family members with, you don't want to share the bathrooms. Yeah. I, that, that's a cool tip. I, I, I would not have even thought about it just in general, but the house we just stayed at Myrtle beach, I think was nine bedrooms, nine bathrooms, nine and a half baths. It was, yeah. One. That makes sense. If you're traveling with somebody, everybody gets their own bedroom, everybody gets their own bathroom. Yep. They want to have their own space. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Vodacy, that's your that's your rental portfolio company. Yep, yep. So we have a it, uh, Vodacy is actually a training company. We have a coaching, a mentoring program for investors that are trying to build a portfolio in the ownership model of vacation rentals. And so that's what Vodacy is. Is we've got a I've got a, a coaching training platform and that's uh, where we help people get into this game and really understand it fully because you're you're writing some big checks a lot of times and you wanna make sure that you're walking into it with your eyes wide open. And that's what we do over here at Vodacy. And teaching them how to be good managers and good owners because yeah. it's amazing how people have treated it over the last couple of years. It's just, hey, well, you know, yeah. just it, make it, it a short-term rental. Yeah, the, the, the game is the game's going to be a little different going forward, for sure. Now, there's more money being spent than ever before in this game. And so that's really exciting. And, and there's no real signs of slowing down. I mean, short term rentals have been kind of the shining star in hospitality, not just as like investors being kind of being the shiny object, but they've been, you know, overall revenue and money being spent and demand for short term rentals continues to go up, which is really exciting. 
but it's going to, the game is going to change. The top 20% of the market and the owners are going to make 80% of the money, just like what happens in most markets and most immature, you know, asset classes. We're going to start to see that. And we already are seeing that in the short-term rental game. Gotcha. So for those of you looking to buy short-term rentals, treat it like the asset that it should be treated as, not just yes. as a mistake and somebody will pay me just to live there for- Absolutely. Well, cool. So we have four kind of questions we ask every guest. These are geared maybe towards more of the newer investor. Okay. So what would be cool, you know, obviously you're in a different niche, so it's a, it's a little bit different stuff, but we're covering the four pillars of what Resimply is built on, which are sales, marketing, data, and operations. And so just kind of give us your one piece of advice for all four of those. So for somebody newer and in getting into sales, what would be the one piece of advice you would give them for real estate investing? Yeah. So, I mean, when, and I'll kind of lump marketing and sales, they're totally different, but you know, you're one, if you're new, one marketing is to attract people to raise their hand and say, Hey, I want to talk to you. Right. Sales is being able to actually convert those people that want to do business with you into actual business. One thing that I see, and, and I made the mistake early on in my career is I'm only marketing when I need another deal, right? It's like, okay, if I need a deal, I'm gonna market. You always, always should be marketing. Have a marketing plan that is always going. And that goes back to the sales. You should always be trying to have conversations, whether it's your next wholesale deal, whether it's your next fix and flip, whether it's your next development deal, whether it's on, on our side, whether it's our next purchase on a long or a short-term rental for a long-term asset to build a portfolio. So those two sales and marketing don't think that you only do it when you need the business right because there's a pipeline that always needs to be built and conversations that always need to be happening on the sales side and so my biggest piece of advice is set that up have a long-term plan that is consistent and always going and then so on the other two what, what we have we had operations and data yeah don't ignore the data one um if you're investing understand your numbers i feel like the biggest mistake that people make is that they say hey, i'm not a numbers person i'm not a data person and i'm going to let somebody else underwrite my deals i'm going to tell let somebody else tell me whether it's a good deal whether it's another investor whether it's a software tool that it's a plug and play understand the numbers we have some amazing tools out there today resimply great tool to be able to tap in organize everything tap in and, and figure out where that data is coming from when you're writing checks when you're in the investment game you've got to understand the numbers and you've got to have reliable data that you're being able to get get numbers from one of the things i was talking to you about we've got a number of data tools we're able to recognize bad data as well when you understand the numbers and you're looking at enough data on a regular basis you're going to understand that there's going to be good data and bad data, and you're gonna to start to see some of the outlier things that you can kick out. When you're not involved in the data on a regular basis, again, you're just going, I mean, you're now you're just saying, okay, I'm gonna place it on red or black and see what hits, right? And so it, it comes down to being able to underwrite the numbers. And then on the operation side, one of the things that understand what your time is worth, there are a lot of things that you can outsource, delegate, pay for, versus trying to do it all yourself. I think in the in the very beginning, sometimes we have more time than money and we do need to do some of the things ourselves. We do need to roll up our sleeves. And, but there's going to be times where as you progress and the only way to grow is to start to say, okay, I'm gonna offload some of the $10 an hour work to other people to be able to do. And don't be afraid to pay somebody what they're worth. Like I just told you before, I, I'm, used to do wholesale deals and fix and flip deals and we would go market and find our own deals now we're at the stage in our business where i it makes more sense for me to build a portfolio and i pay like i said i'm a retail buyer 
for, and people are like, well, you're an investor. Why would you ever buy retail, right? I love getting a good deal just like anybody else, but that money that I'm spending somebody else to go hustle and find those deals is worth the time that it saved me to go do other things and build my business in other ways that I have higher leverage activities. And so when it comes to the operations, understand where you're at in your business and be able to say, okay, there's times where I have more time than money and I have to do some of those $10 an hour jobs. Don't continue to do that for the long term as you start to build and grow. As that time starts squeezing, what's one thing I can take off my plate? Absolutely. Yeah. And it will change dramatically your business 100%. So, yes. Well, Sean, dude, I appreciate it. That was some advice that just makes sense for every business, every level of investor. It's like be consistent, value your time, know when to do it, and then know your numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I, when people tell me oh, I'm not a numbers person, it, we're not asking you to build algorithms in your Excel. Right, it's right. It's like, hey, just look at your P&Ls, look at your your things yep. you have and say, is this working or is it not? Yeah, absolutely. One, um, one of my mentors a long time ago told me, he said, look at your bank account every single day because where you pay attention to, it will, your focus will go there and things will grow. And so every morning now I drink coffee, I open my bank account. Sometimes I don't have any reason to do it, but it's just a habit now. And he says, because I used to say, you know, I don't even want to look at it because I don't know if it's good or bad today. Right. And so we would ignore it. But that even even just knowing the numbers of what's in your bank account on a day to day basis, it's a it's a sounds like a simple thing to do, but it's almost guaranteed that that bank account will start to grow because you're paying attention to it. Yep. No, I've, I've heard that as well. So, well, Sean, thanks for your time. How can people uh, find you, reach out to you, uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, awesome, Brandon. Um, so if they go to vodacy.com, V-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, you'll find everything we're doing over here on the vacation rental side. You've got a, a book that I wrote. It's a bestseller on Amazon. You're welcome to go buy it there. You can also download it for free on our website. So go check that stuff out. Got tons of free trainings. Um, nothing for sale there. Everything's for free. So um, you can go find out everything we're doing over there at odyssey.com. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Take it easy. And I I, I thank you for your uh, advice and wisdom and, and learning about something that honestly intrigues me as well as we're getting into that world too. So I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Brandon, appreciate you having me.